Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. All right, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the very first book in the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. I'm going to read those verses to you in just a moment. Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 9. So we, we are entering, really, if you think about it, the second section in the book of Genesis. Over the next few months, we're going to study the lives of what we call the patriarchs, right? Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and eventually we'll get to Joseph. And these are wonderful chapters in the book of Genesis that have so much to teach us about how God works in the lives of people, how we walk by faith. And I think over the next few weeks in particular, as we study the life of Abraham, I think you're going to be really blessed by this incredible story. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay, because in the chair before you, right down in the book rack, you'll find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and turn to Genesis with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. So, so earlier in the month, Stacy and I uh, celebrated, well, we kind of celebrated. Um, she was actually sick the whole time. Uh, uh, and our, our wedding anniversary, uh, she wasn't sick of me. She just got sick. And at any rate, so we celebrate our 13th wedding anniversary, 13 years of marriage. It's been great, all that kind of stuff. But, but I posted a picture picture on Facebook uh, from our engagement day. So I posted this picture as we got engaged. It was back in what? I guess it was 2007 we got, I don't know. Back in the day we got engaged. And so, so, so I posted this picture on Facebook and it's always interesting to read the comments you get when you post a picture or something like that. And so, so several people, and I'm very thankful for this, and, and my wife was very flattered and thankful for well, as well for these comments. Several of you, after you saw the picture, actually came up to Stacy and, and said something like this. You said to my wife, which, which I'm very thankful for. You said to her, man, you haven't aged at all. That made her feel good. It made me feel good too, right? I married a good looking woman. So that's, that's a good thing, right? And so, so very thankful for that. So thank you. If you told her that, thank you for, you know, flattering her. And, and, and it was just really meant a lot to her. But, but some of you also said to her, man, Tommy sure has aged. Thank you. So, so here's the deal, right? We've been married for 13 years, and, and I just want you to take a moment. If you can, just think back over the last 13 years, right? For Stacy and I, 13 years ago, we were just starting out as man and wife. And man, since that time we started out 13 years ago, a lot has changed. A lot has changed for us. We've moved a couple of times. We've had kids. I mean, there's been life adjustments. There's been the ups and downs of life. And if you think back over the last 13 years in your own life, it's You'd probably say the same thing. Man, a lot has changed. And I don't know what all those changes are for you, but some changes were for the good, some for the not so good. You've struggled with some things. You've seen some victories. I mean, just be honest. Over the last 13 years, a lot has changed in your life. Not only has a lot changed in your life, a lot has changed in our culture. My goodness, has a lot changed in a short amount of time. It's wild to think about all that's changed in our culture over the last decade or so. But I want to tell you this, and you know this to be true. I don't have to tell you this. While so much has 
has changed in your life. And while so much has changed around you, you know that God has not changed. He is absolutely unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love for you has not changed. His mercy for you, his grace for you has not changed. His plan for your life has not changed. His faithfulness, aren't you glad? His faithfulness to you, it has not changed. And also think about this. As I think over the course of the past 13 years, not only has God not changed, but listen to this. God's calling on my life has not changed. Now, when you hear that word calling, you, there might be a connotation to that word uh, for you when you hear that word, because maybe some of you, I know this, some of you are like me. Uh, not everybody in this room, but some of you are like me. Where you grew up in the church. You Maybe like me, you grew up in a Baptist church, a traditional Baptist church. And, 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 and when you heard that word calling growing up in a Baptist church, you thought of two kinds of people, pastors and missionaries, right? Those were the ones who were called. I mean, you would have an invitation at the end of a service, much like we do on a Sunday morning. And sometimes people would walk down the aisle and they would say to the pastor, I've got the call. I feel the call to ministry or missionaries. I feel the call to the mission field. And so when we think about calling. We think about those kinds of people, pastors and missionaries. But, but I want you to know this morning, and, and this is important for us to, us to understand. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a calling on your life. Now, all of us in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted Jesus, you have been called to salvation. God called you to himself and he saved you and gave you new life. Every one of us. And, and just think about this. The circumstances might change in your life, but the calling does not change. Every one of us in this room, we're called to serve the Lord. We're called to live a holy life. We're called to live on mission. That calling on your life given by God, it does not change. Circumstances might change. Life might change. But the calling God has placed on your life, it has not changed. And so what I want to do this morning, as we begin journeying through Abraham's life, I want to spend a few moments talking to you about the calling of God on your life. Because I think the story of Abraham, at least these first few verses, really help us to understand what the calling of God looks like on your life. And so as we walk this passage, I want to show you three truths about the calling of God. And, and I think these verses, as we think about these verses and, and, and as God speaks to us through this passage, I, I think these verses are going to help you to live out your calling faithfully before God. So take your Bibles, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. I want to show you three truths about the calling of God on your life. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Listen to what the Bible says. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house. Now, just stop right there. You see the, the name Abram. Just know that later on, Abram's name is going to be changed to Abraham. And so I'm probably going to say Abraham more often than I say Abram. Just know it's the same guy, right? Same thing with Sarah. Her name's going to be changed. I'm going to say Sarah more than I say Sarai. So just, just know that, right? Um, where was that? Verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, 
all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Father, that there is a call on our lives. You've called us to salvation. You've called us to walk by faith. You've called us to live for you. And so, Father, as we study your word together this morning, I I pray that today would be a, a, a good time of reflecting on how you've called us to walk by faith. And, and would you challenge us this morning in our calling? Would you help us this morning to walk more faithfully before you? Uh, Father, we thank you for how your spirit is going to work in these moments in our lives. Help us to listen carefully to what your word is saying to us and help us to be ready today to respond to your voice in faith and in obedience and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So, so as you have a seat, I, I want you to think, we've, we've covered a lot over the last couple of months as we've walked through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And we've kept coming back to one particular verse, Genesis chapter three, verse 15. You've heard me talk about like a broken record now, right? In Genesis chapter three, verse 15, God makes a promise. After Adam and Eve sin, after they rebel against God, God makes a promise that one day uh, from the seed of the woman, from the, from the lineage of Eve, there will come one, a Messiah, who will crush the head of the serpent, who will obliterate Satan. And so that's the promise. And what we've seen over the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we've seen this, this if you will, this godly lineage from which ultimately Jesus Christ will come from. Seth, for example. Noah, for example. All a part of this lineage. We, we looked a couple of weeks ago at a name, Shem. Remember when, when Noah said to Shem, blessed be the God of Shem. And we said that, that name Shem, it, now watch this, it actually means name. And so, so the descendants of Shem would bear the name of the Lord through the descendants of Shem. One day would come a Messiah. But, but here was the problem. While you have this promise of a Messiah, we're left wondering in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, how in the world is this going to happen? Because at every turn, the people that God created, the people who are supposed to walk with God, rebel against him. We saw this in in Genesis chapter 6, and and God sends a flood and starts over with Noah and his family. We saw this even last week as we looked at the story of the Tower of Babel and how how the, the people came together in this unified rebellion against God. And again, we're wondering, How in the world is God going to fulfill his promise when everybody rebels against God over and over and over again? We looked last week at how that story of the Tower of Babel is is right there in the middle of genealogies. And these genealogies are given to us in part to help us trace the godly lineage, how, how God was going to be faithful to his promise to one day bring forth a Messiah. And so you get to chapter 11, and we looked at this a little bit last week, and you, you get to the end of the chapter. Now, I just want to remind you where we, where we were in the text. You come to example first, verse 24 in Genesis chapter 11. Nahor lived 29 years and fathered Terah. 
Nahor lived 119 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Terah lived 70 years and fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And there you have it. What we're going to discover, obviously, in Genesis chapter 12 is, is Abram, Abraham. He's the one. Like, like Shem that came before him, like Noah that came before Shem, like Seth that came before Noah. He's the one who's going to carry on that lineage. In fact, you know the promise in Genesis chapter 12. We just read it. God comes to Abraham and he says, go, leave your family, leave everything you know and follow me. And I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. And someday through you, through you, through your lineage, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This wonderful promise. But, but I want you to think for just a moment. It's an odd promise. Because if you think about it, when, when God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is absolutely uniquely unqualified for this calling on his life. Absolutely uniquely unqualified. I mean, think about it. Some of these things are obvious. When you get over to chapter 12, we, we learn that, that when Abraham left to go to Haran or left from Haran, he was 75 years old. Now, some of you in this room might be 75 years old and about got myself in trouble in the first service. So I'm going to be very careful in what I say here. But typically speaking, and I know every case is a little bit different. Typically speaking, right? At 75 years old, you're not starting some grand adventure to leave behind everything and start a new life. And you're definitely not having kids. I don't think. If you are, wow. But anyway, so, so, so 75 years old. He's 75 years old and, and he's married to a woman who's barren who's never had children. So right there, we're wondering how in the world is God going to fulfill his promise to make Abraham into a great nation, a nation from whom which someday will come the Messiah if Abraham's 75 years old, doesn't have any kids, and he's married to a woman who's never had kids, who's barren. It just doesn't seem possible. He's unqualified, it seems, in that way, but there's something else going on. Notice what it says in verse 27 of chapter 11. These are the family records of, of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and uh, Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran lived in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Now, that's interesting. I, I don't know if you know much about Ur of the Chaldeans. I mean, it's a, a great name for a country, right? Ur, but, but you had this place, Ur of the Chaldeans. And, and in that day, uh, there was a particular god that was worshipped in earth. This was a central place for the worship of Nanar, the moon god. In fact, what Bible scholars say is that the Abraham's father, Terah, that name is actually a wordplay on moon. And, and so it's very probable that Terah, Abraham's father, was not a worshiper of Yahweh at all. He lived in the land of Ur. A, a place where the, the God of the moon was worshipped. I mean, his, his name was related to that. And so, so it's very probable that, that Terah, he was a, an idolater. He worshipped the moon. And then he has sons like Abram, and he raises his sons to do what? Worship the moon. Do you see? And so in all these ways, Abraham, he is uniquely unqualified to be called by God. He's, he's 75 years old. He has a, a barren wife, no children, and he's not even a Yahweh worshiper. He doesn't worship the God of all creation. He worships the moon God. 
But in Genesis chapter 12, God comes, this pagan man who is living in a pagan land, and he says, I'm going to do something in your life. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And someday through this nation I'm making out of you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Follow me. Uniquely unqualified. But, but that's the call of God. The call of God on Abraham's life is, is the same as the call of God on your life. It is a graciously powerful call. You understand that? Because everyone in this, in this room, we're like Abraham. We are uniquely unqualified. Now, you might not believe that because some of you in this room, you're saying, well, I didn't grow up in the land of Ur. I, I didn't worship. I didn't worship the moon God. I, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Christian family, right? My, my daddy was a, a deacon. My mama was, a, I don't know, something. She was a Christian woman too and this and that. She taught Sunday school and I grew up in a Christian family. But, but what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter two, and you know this, that before you came to faith in Christ, you were dead, dead in your trespasses and sins. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church or not. What Paul says in Romans chapter five is that before you came to faith in Christ, you were actually an enemy of God through your rebellion, your sin. What, I don't care if you were a moral person, if you attended church, if, if before you came to faith, you were an enemy of God. You had set your face against God, but God who is rich in mercy and grace, right? He took you, someone who was unqualified, someone who could not earn their way into the kingdom, and he qualified you by his grace and love. You see, it had nothing to do with you, had everything to do with God. And that's the story of Abraham. Abraham was uniquely unqualified, but watch this. God's call was graciously powerful in his life. In grace, God came to Abraham in the same way his grace came to you. You are uniquely unqualified to serve God, but God came and he qualified you. And so what that means is it's real simple. Because you're uniquely unqualified, now watch this, you can't be overinflated with self-importance. You know that, right? And, and, and you don't want to admit this. I, I know you don't want to admit this, but there are some of us in this room, maybe we don't think this consciously all the time, but maybe unconsciously we do. Some of you in this room, you are convinced you are God's gift to the world, right? You ain't. You're convinced that you have, have giftedness and abilities and talents and, and, and that, that, that you are God's gift to the world. You're God's gift to this church and, and this church couldn't function without you and what a mess we'd be in if, if you weren't around. Listen, there's only one gift to the world and his name is Jesus. It ain't you. You see what I'm saying? And, and it's just so this reality of, of, listen, you're not as, I hate to burst your bubble, but you're just not as important as you think you are. You are uniquely unqualified but the God of all creation has qualified you by his grace and love. Anything, listen, listen, and you know this because we've talked about this before. Anything you accomplish for the kingdom of God, anything, right, that you do in service to the Lord that is blessed is, be, is not because of you. It's because of the power of the spirit of God working through you. His grace at work in you is not of you. It's completely of him, you see. When I was in seventh grade, I went to, um, went to Washington, D.C. 
The only time I've ever been to Washington, D.C. I had a, a family friend, and I went with his family to Washington, D.C., and, and it was amazing. Now, I was a seventh grader, so I was, what, 12 years old, maybe 13, I, I don't remember. But, 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 you know, so, you know, I didn't understand all the significance of the history But I remember going to the Lincoln Memorial and uh, the Washington Monument and the Smithsonian and all those great sites in Washington, D.C. And I remember going uh, to the Arlington Cemetery. I've only been there once. Some of you have been there multiple times and you you have memories of being there. And I remember seeing some of those those famous landmarks. I remember seeing the the, the grave of John F. Kennedy. I remember seeing all the the, the tombs of, of soldiers who had passed away, veterans. Now, I remember seeing this, and you know this site, the tomb of the unknown soldier. You, you know some of the story behind this tomb, and after World War I, this unidentified soldier buried his remains here. And, and you know, I mean, when you go there, I mean, and again, at, at, in seventh grade, I didn't understand all the ramifications. I didn't understand all the, the details, but, but just to see the site and to, to see how it's guarded, day and night. And we were there, we got to watch the changing of the guard and just that ceremony. And it's just a somber, serious place. And, and I knew it, right? And I, I knew in seventh grade, although I didn't understand everything there, I, I knew that I was standing in front of something that was significant. See, most of you are like me. You were born here in the United States. Yeah, your ancestors immigrated over from various places, but most of you, you have my story. You were born here in the United States. And on this Memorial Day weekend, you think about those who have fought and given their lives in battle. You see, many of you in this room, you have served in the armed services. You know what it means to serve your country, to defend the honor of the flag. I don't. I didn't serve in the armed forces. Let Let me tell you something. We have a lot of freedoms here in the United States of America that I enjoy, but I did not do a thing to earn those freedoms. I just happen to be born in the right place at the right time. You see, it's, it's, it's men and women, some whose names we will never know, right? Who gave their lives to pay that ultimate sacrifice to ensure that someone like me can live in a country. You see, I am qualified, right? To enjoy the privileges of this nation because of somebody else's sacrifice. I've done nothing for it, you see. I don't know, six or seven years ago, I stood at another tomb, right? I stood at another tomb in Jerusalem. Now, archaeologists say that this might be the tomb where Jesus was buried after he died on the cross. We don't know if it is the exact tomb, but it may have been. But I stood there before that tomb. And, and I'll be honest with you, as I don't know, at that time, a 30-something-year-old man, I, I didn't understand, nor do I understand years later. Even as, after faithfully following Jesus for years, I, I still don't understand all the ramifications of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I do know this, that, that three days after his death, Jesus Christ walked forth from a tomb. And because he walked forth from a tomb for me, I am now qualified. Not not because of anything I've done, but completely because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. I have done nothing 
to, to, to earn my eternal inheritance. I've done nothing to earn a place in the eternal kingdom of God. Jesus has done it all. He has taken an unqualified person like me and he has qualified me by his grace and his mercy and his victory. You are in this room as a follower of Jesus, qualified, not because of you, but qualified only because of the call of God on your life to faith in a risen Lord. You understand that? You see? And so when you think about the calling of God, God's call in your life, it is graciously powerful. There's only one who is all important and it's not you. It's the one who made the ultimate sacrifice, you see? But, 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 but let's think a little further in the text. So what we learn about God's call is God's call is graciously powerful, but it's also, now this is really interesting, radically uncomfortable. Now, this is interesting. You've got to follow me in the text just a little bit, but, but look at what it says here. You come down in, in chapter 12 and you see this calling on Abraham's life to go and how God is going to make him a great nation and bless him and all these things that we talked about a moment ago. But you come up and you look again. Haran died, verse 28 of chapter 11, in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's life. But you come down, I want to show you something. Look at verse 31 in chapter 11. Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. That's interesting. Because remember who Terah was. Terah was Abram's father and a moon worshiper. Why does he leave Ur to go to Canaan? Because Canaan is the land of promise. Now, he doesn't make it all the way there, obviously. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he, he begins making the journey. Why? Let me, let me show you something. This, we'll try to put all this together and see if this makes sense to you. Go, go to the book of Acts in the New Testament. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 7, you know this story. We actually looked at this story a couple years ago. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is about to pay the ultimate price for his faith. He is about to die a martyr. But before he dies a martyr, he preaches a sermon. And he recounts the history of, of the Hebrew people as he preaches the sermon. And look what he says in, in, in verse three of chapter seven, just, just follow carefully. He says, look, look, God said to Abraham, leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of where? The Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this land in which you are now living. Now, that's interesting. So I think Stephen gives us a detail because when Moses writes here in chapter 11, he doesn't give us all the details. He, he, he's, he's trying to show us something, but he doesn't give us all the details to all, and answer all the questions we won't answer. But, but think about this. If you think about chapter 12, verses one through nine, that's the call of Abraham, right? If you think about verses 27, now follow me closely, verses 27 through 32 of chapter 11, that's the setting of the call. So in other words, here's what, likely, here's what happens, is that, that Abraham is called by God where? In Ur. In Ur. In Ur of the Chaldeans, Abraham experiences the call of God. And so again, Moses doesn't give us all the details. He doesn't spell it out for us. But, but I think this is possible. This is what, what might have happened. God calls Abraham. And then Abraham begins to convince his family. God. The God of all creation is not that moon God. There, there, there's, there's Yahweh. 
We got to follow him. And so Abraham likely convinces his own dad to begin making the journey. Wherever God leads, we're going. And, and they begin the journey following God until they get to this place called Haran. And when they get there, Terah says, that's enough. I'm not going any further. Look at what it says. Look at what it says. You come back to verse 31. But when they came to Haran, they what? They settled there. Now, that should be an indication. In fact, circle that word settle in your Bible because so far in the book of Genesis, when we see this idea of settling, it ain't a good thing. We think settling is a good thing. Some of you who are, who are parents and you have who are kids that are, that are in college or graduating college and entering young adulthood, your, your hope is what? That your kids will get married and settle down and have grandkids for you, right? We like settled. Settled's comfortable. But when you look in Genesis up to this point, settling is not a good thing. It's what Cain did, Right? Cain settled and established a godless civilization. It's what we saw last week at the Tower of Babel, people gathering and and settling, right? And now here you have in the end of Genesis chapter 11 that, that, that Abraham's father, he settles. And God's calling on Abraham's life was not to settle. So Abraham waits. He waits till his father dies. And then he continues the journey with God. For Terah, it's too much. It was an uncomfortable calling. Think about your own life, my friend. We like to be settled. We like to have a comfortable life. Now think about my own life, right? I'll be honest with you. We, we, we love everything about our lives. He, he, my wife and I, we feel like we're in a really good season. We, we love our church, love our community, We love the neighborhood we live in. We love the school the boys go to. We love the relationships we have in this church and outside this church in the area. We love what God is doing in in the life of this church. We we, we love everything about this stage of life. And and, and to be honest with you, we love it and it's comfortable for us. And I wonder, I wonder what would happen if God were to shake up my comforts just a bit. I wonder how I would respond if God said, Take this step of faith. Step out of your comforts just a bit. Some of you are like me. You, you, you love your life. You're comfortable. You're settled. I wonder how you respond if God said, take this step of faith. And for Abraham, this was the kind of life that God was calling him to. Not a life of, of settling, but a life of, of follow. In fact, what you're going to see in Abraham's life is there's going to be from chapter 12 forward, this consistent pattern. God's going to say to Abraham, go. And he's not going to give Abraham all the details. Abraham's going to say, go, where do you want me to go? And essentially God's going to say to Abraham, just go. I'll show you later. There's going to come a point, right, where, where God's going to say to Abraham, you're going to have a son. Abraham's going to say, have a son. How am I going to have a son? And God's going to say something like this to Abraham. I'll show you later. And there's going to come a point where, where God's going to come back to Abraham and he's going to say something like this. Abraham, take your son, march him up a mountain and kill him. 
And Abraham's going to say something like this. What? Why? And God's going to say to Abraham something like this. Just do it. I'll show you later. That's the life of faith. Where God says, just go. I'm not going to give you all the details. I'm not going to reveal everything to you. Just go and I'll show you later. So this past week, I was at the DMV. That, can you imagine if Chick-fil-A ran the DMV, right? You, you go and you, you get your, your stuff done. You get your new license. You get your tag for your car and, and then get a six-pack of nuggets to go out the door with. That'd be awesome, right? But, but, but so, so I go to the DMV in Monk's Corner and, and I drive by the DMV a good bit. And, and, and every time I go by the DMV, there are 4,345 people in line every single time. And I, what I've noticed every day I go by, it's the same people. The line never moves, right? There have been people in line at the DMV for like months now, right? They still haven't gotten their license. And so it's, a, it's just this interesting place. If you work there, it's an interesting place, isn't it? So, so anyway, Stacy and I, we, we bought a car while we were in New Orleans uh, uh, a couple months ago. And so for the last couple months, I've been trying to get, all I want to do is get a, a license plate for my car. And so I got on the website and they gave me all these instructions. So I followed the instructions and I made an appointment at the DMV. So I wouldn't have to stand with the 4,335 people in line. And I walked in. When I got to the DMV and I showed my paperwork, they said, well, you didn't do this, this, and this, and this. Well, you didn't. And so I said, okay. And then the, the dealer had not done what they were supposed to do. They sent the wrong forms. So I was back on the phone with the DMV office in Blythewood. And I was on the phone with a dealer in New Orleans. And I've been on the phone in the DMV office and all this other stuff. Finally, finally, I, I got there Friday and I was able to finally get the plates for my car. I mean, praise the Lord, it was like a miracle. But then the lady said, oh, all you had to do was this, this, and this. And because you did all this, you actually get money back. And so go stand in that line and we'll give you a refund. I'm like, are you kidding me? And so, so it, I, like for two months now, I've been guessing at what I have to do to get a plate for my car. Some of you feel like that with God. Like you're guessing. God, what do you want? God, what do you want? Listen, God is not trying to, to put you through some kind of process where you're constantly guessing what he wants from you. What God is saying to you is the same thing he's saying to Abraham. Just follow me. Follow me and every day obey me. Every day do what I say. And along the way, I'm gonna show you. Along the way, it's gonna be clear how I'm at work in your life. Just follow me. All those things you're wondering about, look, put those to the back of your mind. Focus on today. Today, follow me. Today, do what I ask of you. Today, love me. Today, serve me. Today, live for me. And as you do that consistently every single day, along the way, God is gonna show you the next steps. God is gonna make it unmistakably clear to you exactly what he's trying to accomplish in your life. The calling for you is to follow. Now, I know sometimes that's uncomfortable, right? And we like our comforts, but think about it. Three questions. How do you know? How do you know if you're that kind of person who is willing to step into what might be uncomfortable to follow the will of God? How do you know if you're that kind of person who's willing to say to God, wherever you lead, I'll go? Well, think about these three questions. Are you holding on... Are you holding on to anything other than God for security? Question, right? What makes you feel safest in life? When you have a certain amount of money in the bank account? When you're home with family? When, when, you, when you've gotten that place in your career you want to get to? 
What makes you feel safest in life? What, 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 what makes you feel most secure? Because whatever makes you feel so most secure in your life, that's probably the God that you worship. Do you see? You see, real safety isn't in our job or our, our family. Real safety is in the will of God. You are most safe when you are doing what God calls you to do, even when he doesn't give you all the answers you want. Or think about this. Are you abusing God's call in order to remain comfortable? Because some of us will say things like this. That mission trip, I just don't feel called to that. Serving in the nursery, it's not my calling, right? Going and sharing the gospel with my neighbor across the street, eh, not my calling. Helping someone who's down and out, I prayed about it, just not called. And so we end up doing, right? If we end up abusing the call of God, I just don't feel caught rather than understanding when there are opportunities that God places before you, assume when those opportunities are there that God places before you, assume God is calling you to walk through those opportunities. You see what I'm saying? If he's not, he's gonna make it very clear to you. The problem is is that we like our comfort so much that that we'll abuse the calling of God. No, I, I just wanna stay where I'm at. This is where I feel comfortable. So I'm not called, I'm not called, I'm not called, right? Or think about this. Are you making decisions based on how you'll be blessed or how you might bless others? Because here's what I know around this room, every one of you, every, and then you might not feel this way. So let me just remind you in case you don't feel this way, you're blessed. Every one of us in this room, we're blessed. If you're breathing, you're blessed, but you're not blessed just to be blessed. What, what, what God calls Abraham to is a life of being blessed in order to be a blessing. And so, so listen, the blessings that God has bestowed on you, do you see those blessings as resources to be used to be a blessing to others? You see, all of this is rather uncomfortable, but that's the calling of God. God's calling challenge your com- challenges your comforts, right? But let me show you one thing will be done. Not only is God's calling graciously powerful, not only is it radically uncomfortable, it is unmistakably missional. This is so good. Now, just bear with me for just a moment. Look at what it says in the text. So we got to fly, but, but, but look what it says. So, so after his father dies, Abraham leaves Haran. He took his possessions, verse five, his wife, Sarah, the people they accumulated. That's another conversation for another day, but they go to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the side of Shechem at the Oka Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Well, that's interesting. Think about it. There's a big world out there. Certainly somewhere there was some land that was uninhabited. But that's not where God sends Abraham. He sends him into enemy territory. In fact, in fact, not only is it enemy territory, it is a place much like earth of the Chaldeans. It is a place of pagan worship a place where altars would have existed to the various gods of the Canaanites. And when Abraham makes the 800-mile journey from Haran to Shechem, he gets there. Now watch this. And he builds an altar. And then he makes another trip, right? You see there, from there, he moved to the hill country and pitched his tent in Bethel. With the west on, Bethel on the west and I on the east, he built an altar to the Lord there. Oh, this is good. This is good. Moses is telling us that as, as Abraham goes, 
He goes to these places that were inhabited by the enemy, places that were known for pagan worship and places where altars to various gods had been established. And what Abraham does, he builds altars to the God of all creation. What Abraham does by faith, he walks into this wicked land and he claims this land for God. I want you to do something for me. I want you to walk outside. Not right now. I'm in a few minutes. I want you to walk outside. And I want you to look at your city, North Charleston. There have been altars erected all over this city. Altars to careers. Altars to, to drugs and alcoholism. Altars to various sins. Altars to baseball and sports and altars to politics, all kinds of false gods worshiped all over this city. And here in this city, God has placed a church. Not only our church, he's placed the church in his city. It seems like this city is ruled by Satan. Don't you think, church, that God's call on our lives is unmistakably missional? Come on now, listen to me. Don't you think, follower of Jesus, that the reason why God leaves you in this city is for this city? Don't you think the reason why God has placed Northwood Baptist Church right here on Green Ridge Road is for Green Ridge Road? Don't you think that God wants us to establish altars to the gospel of Jesus Christ all over this city? Don't you think that God wants us to reclaim North Charleston with the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, the calling on your life, it is my friend. Listen carefully because we miss this. I miss this every single day. I'll be the first to confess that, man, God needs to do a work in my life and I need to repent of some sins as well because here's what I know, right? God's call on my life and your life, it is crystal clear. It is not to a comfortable life. It is not to appease our own desires. It is not to do what we want to do and make the most of our lives. God's call on our lives is to make much of Jesus in this city which we live. And if we miss that, we miss the point of why he's placed us here. The question is, why do we miss it? If we know that God has placed us here for this city and ultimately for the nations, why do we miss it? James, the half-brother of Jesus, when he reflects back on the life of Abraham, he, he says this, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We're gonna get to that uh, next, next in a couple of weeks. But then he says this, and Abraham was called, listen to this, a friend of God. It's a wonderful phrase, isn't it? Because you got some friends. For those of you who have friends, and hopefully most of you do, for your closest friends, what would you do for them? Anything. You see? You see, as, as Abraham journeyed by faith, as he walked by faith, you know what Abraham began to know? As Abraham walked by faith, he began to know God. And the more you know the heart of God, the more you want to serve God. The more you know the heart of God, the more you want to do for God. Abraham began to know the heart of God. And as Abraham began to know the heart of God, it became easier and easier for Abraham to trust God. 
and to do his will. You see? The problem for most of us is we're not pursuing the friendship. We've become complacent in our relationship with God. And because we've become complacent in our relationship with God, this just isn't important to us. Everything else is. All the other altars to the other gods we've erected, that's important. But this isn't important. And it's because of this. Because we're not focused on communion with God. The more you exchange complacency for communion with God, the more you become passionate about what God wants, you see? Because when you know God as your friend, man, you'll do what your friend wants you to do, you see? So what about you? Every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, the call of God is on your life. It's powerful. God has qualified you. It's uncomfortable at times because God's calling on your life is a calling not to pursue your comforts, but his kingdom. And it's missional. That we go forth in this community and we make much of Jesus because this is a city in which we live that desperately needs the gospel. And we do it because, right, Jesus came on a mission to claim your life for the Father. Right? Jesus, the Son of God, who has eternally existed with the Father, left his heavenly home and came to this broken earth. He lived the life that you could not live, the Son of God, God in the flesh, perfect in every way, never sinned, and went to a cross and died a cruel death, a sacrificial death, an atoning death. He died the death that you deserve. You were an enemy of God. You made yourself that. You chose to rebel. You chose to turn your back on the God of all creation who loves you and created you. But God chose, in spite of that, to extend you grace. Grace to the extent that he was willing to give his son on a cross who absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf experienced the punishment that you deserve. And then three days later, after his gruesome death, walked forth out of a tomb, alive, victory for you and for me, right? You see, this one who left his heavenly home, came and lived and died and rose again for you so that you could find your way home. Home is not this earth. Home isn't the comforts of this life. Home is is being in the presence of the God of all creation. It's where you belong. It's where I belong. And so this morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today's your opportunity. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. As we have a time invitation, I just want to challenge you to get up and go to one of those crosses. At those crosses, there'll be someone there who's ready to talk with you and pray with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, you're going to see a text number come up on the screen. Text the name Jesus to that number. Someone will reach out to you very soon and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus this morning, this morning is a time of invitation for you. Maybe you're like, you know, you know that you've gotten a little bit too comfortable. You, you know that in some ways you're resisting the call of God in your life. Maybe this morning you will come and ask God to help you live faithfully in light of the calling that he's placed on your life. Maybe you want to come and gather and just pray for this city, that God help us to reclaim this city for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us be faithful in making Christ known in this dark city. However you want to respond this morning, you respond now in the way God is leading you. Father, thank you for this morning, for time in your word. Now, Father, as we respond to your word, 
we respond in faith and obedience. So that person who's here in this room or watching online who has never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, may today be that person's day of salvation. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Rise to your feet as we have a time of invitation. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.